The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Sequel Quest, episode 106, a sequel chat movie review of Fast and Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw. Warning, Sequel Chat is a movie lover's podcast featuring discussions of the latest cinematic sequels in theaters now. These weekend of release reviews are spoiler-filled and highly flammable, so please use caution when listening. You have been warned. Ladies and gentlemen, start your engines because it's time to save the world again. This week we are talking Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw. Wow, that title is really a mouthful, ain't it, guys? <laughs> um, I didn't realize that they'd added that uh, qualifier at the beginning, the Fast and Furious P- presents, until I was buying my ticket. Anybody Feels else? Like Diesel certainly had his hand in that. He's like, look, <laughs> I don't want this film to be made, but I'm getting. I got my producer credit on Fast and Furious. So I'm getting my money out of this. I, I was thinking about just calling it Nine Fast, Nine Furious. Because of where it fits in the franchise. Uh, right, but there's only like two of them. I, I don't know. It's it's an interesting mix here in this movie. Um, Around the round table with me here, Colton and Adam, as usual, on this sequel chat. Hey, howdy, howdy. Yeah, so what's what's your guys' history with this franchise? Uh, I know we covered this a little bit in our past sequel quest about the Fast and Furious sequel that we concocted, but what? Uh, where do you guys sit with this franchise? Gosh, long story short, in the very beginning, I did not care for it. I, I remember seeing the trailer as a high school freshman for the original Fast and Furious film and just thinking... This looks like a crappy ripoff of Point Break. Uh, I ended up watching it and still not liking it. Uh, didn't care for those two sequels that followed because um, they just virtually none of the original cast came back, which is usually a bad sign of poor quality. And I just kind of wrote the whole franchise off. And then April 2009 comes around. They get the original cast to come back and they do a fourth film simply called Fast and Furious. And I remember watching it and thinking, you know, that wasn't bad. And it took me a long time to watch the other sequels after that. Um, but I noticed I just, as long as I didn't have my expectations too high, you know, it wasn't that bad. You, I, I had a teacher who'd say this, and I thought it was so awful, and then I ended up embracing it. He's like, sometimes it's okay to watch a film where you can turn off your brain. <laughs> and this is a teacher that had a doctorate degree. Right. Right. And I ended up, I've kind of embraced that a little bit. Sometimes there are films that just kind of turn off your brain in the right way and they end up working for you. And the previous film of the franchise, The Fate and the Furious, uh, I don't want to go into too much detail, but I basically had arguably the worst day of my life. Uh, very, very personal reasons. And the next day, Fate of the Furious came out and I saw it and it was just what I needed. So, yeah, this franchise, it gets the job done. It just... It took four movies to start being on the right path for me. And yeah, turn off your brain a little bit. You can enjoy it. Yeah, I guess for me, when I when I think about Fast and Furious, the, the whole franchise is 
it feels like they got to the point where they said, you know what, let's allow this to be ridiculous. I don't know if Vin Diesel is in on the joke. I think he thinks he's still the coolest guy in town. But I think when they got to the point of just said, okay, this is like a male soap opera that isn't professional wrestling. And we'll get into that later. It's a male soap opera with cars and ridiculous superhuman action. Uh, and they just said, let's just go for it. Let's just do cool things and let it be that. This is the cool action scenes movie. And we have a few charismatic actors in it or, you know, at least some level because, you know, there's action movies that come out every summer, every off season. You know, there's action movies all the time, but not none of them have the power of the Fast and the Furious, you know, outside of maybe Mission Impossible. And I don't count the Marvel movies as action films per se. So I feel like this is like the purest form of taking action movies of the 80s and bringing them into the 21st century. And I think they managed to hit on that formula where we could all accept it as like a general populace. Now, as far as what my favorite is, I mentioned this in our sequel quest episode that Jeremy referenced, but I like the oddball. So I like Tokyo Drift. That's the one that is the most interesting to me, and it's the it's the weirdest and the most fun. So well, and it's and, the know, one without Vin Diesel, except for a cameo that you yeah. love. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me, Vin Diesel is overhyped. I think it's because I I've seen too much of his like weird like Instagram and other social media <laughs> posts, and he is a strange guy. And I just please I, tell me you're familiar with his uh, Street Sharks toy plug. Oh, oh I wish <laughs> I got to check that one out now, uh, Adam. I figured you'd be interested as a person who likes vintage toys. Yes, you just need to Google Vin Diesel Street <laughs> Sharks. You're welcome. Most of what I've seen is him singing, doing a lot of singing, and then uh, hitting on Brazilian interviewers uh, on press junkets. So it's just it's all like awkward stuff with Vin Diesel. But uh, I feel I feel like also the cast for me in Fast and Furious films have always been super kind of bloated like they keep adding it to the point where they get redundant because it's they have two hackers in the crew now you know it's like ludicrous kind of doesn't have a purpose because they saved that like super hacker girl you know in the last right. one so then now she's there so why is he around anymore and and things like that so really the only person i look forward to in those you know full team films is tyrese i think tyrese is funny i like him and everybody else i, I could do without so i'm very I was very excited when I heard about Hobbs and Shaw. But Jeremy, how about you? You part of the family? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I only really bought in at five. And then I went back and caught up on all of it. As as I detail out in the, the other pod, uh, man, once they basically became like their own version of superheroes and built their own super team and now the government's involved and keeps bringing them back in no matter how far out they get uh it's just ridiculous enough that you're like i can suspend disbelief for this like they're gonna they're gonna jump a car between buildings okay (laughs) all right with each each installment you have to suspend more and more disbelief though like freaking (laughs) taking the these racing cars and duking it out with submarines on ice like they did in <laughs> Fate of the Furious. Right. I, I keep hearing whispers like they seriously are going to take the struggle to outer space. And I believe it. I, at this point, I believe it. That's where we went with our sequel pitch. Uh, my yeah. pitch. Um, but yeah, it uh, 
the the longest runway ever uh that definitely had to suspend some disbelief for a 20 minute runway scene uh but yeah i mean it is exactly what you've said colton it's a shut off your brain and just enjoy it's a thrill ride lots of action lots of movement um and lots of talking about family and the importance of family uh, Yes, yes. Yes, that giant I, baby. I, he loves I his family. I ain't got friends. <laughs> it, I've except got family. It, it's all like, even this one, even in Hobbs and Shaw, yes. they kind of jam that whole family thing down your throat. I, I almost wonder if it was a parody or if they were completely unaware, <laughs> unself-aware when they did it. Because I, I really yeah. couldn't tell, which uh, I'm it, a little surprised by. Because David Leach is a really good director. Yeah, it almost seemed like it was kind of a, a mandate from on high that they had to do some family stuff. Um, well, and I think it's interesting to note, too, that, it, you know, speaking of family, it seems like, you know, I know uh, a couple years ago after Fate of the Furious came out, we were at a place where it looked like the family was disintegrating, like the rock <laughs> had come in and uh, everybody liked stepdad more than they liked real dad. And, uh, you know, so now you got the other bulky bald guy. But I mean, you got to look at it realistically. The rock has more charisma. He's bigger than Vin Diesel. He's, you know, he's, he's just got more going for him as far as star power. Vin Diesel has yeah. this. You know, and if yeah, you ask our I, other co-host on Sequel Quest, Jeff, he has Riddick, but I don't agree. Yeah. With that. <laughs> uh, Riddick was a moderate success at best. It was never yeah. a runaway at all. Yeah, it was a niche yeah. niche market there. And uh, literally Vin Diesel once upon a time had a very strict policy of I don't do sequels. You know, I, I'm artistically driven and he <laughs> would just do movie after movie after movie that was losing money for the studios like. The, does anyone remember the pacifier? Oh, wait, I saw <laughs> that in theaters. Or 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 a, or a man apart, or the last witch hunter, or Babylon A.D. The list goes on. Vin Diesel tried so hard to do original stuff all the time, and nobody wanted to see it. But eventually, he likes the dump trucks full of money and the fact that he can be in movies that don't bomb. So it it took eight years, but he finally came back to the Fast and Furious franchise and. I imagine part of his negotiation was he wanted to be a producer in his contract. So I believe since the fourth one, he's consistently gotten a producer credit. I yeah. did he get a producer credit on this one though? He did not. I know. No, I, no, I didn't see it. Yeah. Well, that's what I liked about it though is the producers listed. You know, the two first ones we saw were, were Dwayne Johnson and Jason Statham. Yeah, because, and that's because yeah. they they came up with the idea. They concocted doing their own spinoff. Um, and, and I believe they came up with most of the script. I mean, they even had a promo set, or at least a, a mid-credits tease set, to debut with Fate of the Furious, but Vin Diesel threw a hissy fit and nixed it. Oh, gosh. I, <laughs> because they yeah. hadn't consulted him, and it would basically cut him out because he wouldn't get any sort of credit, any dollars off of it, basically. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there was, there was some drama in the family with this, it, this if you movie. look at the film Fate of the Furious, you'll notice that Vin Diesel and The Rock don't have any scenes together. Yeah. And that's for a reason. Uh-huh. And, you know, at the time, it seemed like it was almost a, a contrived uh, pseudo fight that they were having behind the scenes that was just all over social media. And 
almost to drum up interest in Fate of the Furious. But in reality, it's looking more and more like we're not going to see them together uh, any in any future installment. Uh, they are in the process of filming Fast 9, I believe. Yep. Yeah, I believe they asked Dwayne Johnson if he was coming back for that. And I think he said no. He said he'd be willing to come back for the 10th one, maybe, but not, he's going to sit out the ninth one. Did you guys see that? Uh, I had not, but I oh, wouldn't yeah. doubt that. And especially if this franchise takes off, well, then why does he ever need to come back at all? You know what I'm saying? Like, he'll be happy to have his own series that works. He'll have Jumanji movies and he'll have his Hobbs and Shaw franchise. And I think there's a very real possibility with that, depending on how the next few weeks of box office go. Because I mean, we're at the end of the summer and this could be, you know, the one that kind of lingers a little bit longer if word of mouth is good enough. Yeah. So this uh, this is the first to debut in August. Everything else is debuted earlier in the summer. And apparently headlines are kind of split on this one. <laughs> um, People are team Vid and team uh, Johnson. Yeah, here are two different headlines here. Uh, GameSpot has Hobbs and Shaw has massive box office opening. Uh, it's off to a $180 million global launch. But Screen Rant, on the other hand, Hobbs and Shaw has worst Fast and Furious box office opening since 2009. So it, it's really split. I believe they only did $60 million domestic opening weekend. Yeah. Which is which I think is fine. Like we've been a little bit too, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Spoiled with overestimation on what constitutes success. Right. I think, I, I think sixty million dollars is more than fine. There's a lot of independent filmmakers that there would kill to have an opening weekend, a whole run like that, as opposed to an opening weekend. Oh so, yeah. yeah. So here, here's to put into context here, Adam. You'll love this. <laughs> um, Tok. The Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift made a total domestically of $62.5 million. Wow. And this one opened to $60 million. Well, how about that? <laughs> <laughs> Still, I mean, you're right. You know, that doesn't feel like a huge opening, which is surprising because what is it up against? I can't think of anything else that should be stealing box office this weekend, at least, unless it's still Spider-Man Far From Home. Oh, uh, you know, let me look here. Uh, the oh. Lion King. Oh. Well, different audiences, though, I would say. So it feels like that, you know, you would say, okay, well, maybe the teenagers and the adult audience are trying to get in to see uh, Hobbs and Shaw before, you know, they have to uh, give up on their summer dreams. But maybe not. I don't know. So that's uh, interesting yeah. to me. Yeah. It looks like the top four movies, Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw. The Lion King with $38.5 million, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, $20 million, Spider-Man Far From Home, and Toy Story both had $7.5 million. Hmm. So it was, uh, yeah, it was the biggest this weekend, but took a big drop, apparently, compared to Lion King last weekend had a hundred and some odd million dollar opening. All right, a quick synopsis here. Ever since the hulking lawman Hobbs, a loyal agent of America's diplomatic security service, and lawless outcast Shaw, a former British military elite operative, first faced off in 2015's Furious 7, the duo have swapped smack talk and body blows as they've tried to take each other down. But when cyber-genetically enhanced anarchist Brixton gains control of an insidious biothreat that could alter humanity forever, wiping out 
billions and best the brilliant and ruthless rogue MI6 agent who just happens to be Shaw's sister, these two sworn enemies will have to partner up to bring down the only guy who might be better than themselves. <sighs> I'm sorry, it's just the way the film opens up with a world-destroying virus, we've seen that a lot. World-destroying virus that requires basically as a MacGuffin uh, for somebody to take it and inject it in themselves to make sure that they have that much control over the plot. Uh, I Gosh, I feel like I've seen that so many times. Off I think that's top... true about everything in this movie. Yeah, yeah off... I mean, it's full of tropes. Yeah, off the top of my head, I remember Mission Impossible 2 had that same plot line. Like, twice, somebody would inject themselves with the MacGuffin virus just so they could have control over it, plot-wise. But let me ask you this, Colton. What, when you went into this film, were you expecting... Like something that was that felt original, or were you expecting like I had a, a laugh low, fest? I had low expectations. Okay, and like in those first five minutes, it already was sinking below my low expectations. <laughs> but it got better. Oh, good. Well, see now, I I have a different thought about the opening beyond the virus moment because for me, I really enjoyed the fact that really from the top of the introduction of our heroes. We get the parallel, you know, live situation, like with a literal split screen. I really got a kick of, about them showing how their lives are just kind of a tick off from each other. But essentially, they follow a very similar path. Yes. And that comes back again and again throughout the movie to the point of where we said, where you know, they're both producers on the film. I feel like they must have just mutually agreed because sometimes you hear about those contractual things like you will have the same amount of lines. We all have the same amount of screen time. Like, you know, those things are mandated. But it seems like in their case, they just what they wanted to make that part of the film. It's like, yeah, we'll each have our moment, but that's the thing is we're going to be sparring back and forth and you're going to have that comparison throughout. So, you know, you have the rock coming in and breaking up, a, you know, a drug den or whatever that he's going to get his information. Statham, same thing, except he's got a champagne bottle in his head, you know, so he's he's a champagne problem. And so I, I just feel like it's interesting how they. They really went with that for so long in that intro. And then, yeah, like as we continue to film. I love here. the simultaneous split screen comparison between the two. I thought that was very stylish. Yeah. Now, what did you guys think of Hattie coming into this film then? Jason Statham's. Because it doesn't it seem like what you do is you just bring in a Shaw sibling. Like, we're out of ideas. Get one of Shaw's brothers or sisters in the movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> or, or, or his mother. Yeah. Well, Helen Mirren, she talked her way into the franchise and she's here to stay, I guess. So that's great. Considering Creamy. the level of acting caliber and class she has, I think she is such a good sport. Yeah. Being part of this, I have to say. But the, have you guys seen this actress in anything else uh, who, who played Hattie? Because she was not someone that was super familiar to me, but it uh, felt like she was somebody I was supposed to know. Her her name is Vanessa Kirby. She's like one of those that's kind of rising pretty fast. Okay. So she doesn't have a whole lot of credits under her belt, relatively speaking. I know she was on a Netflix show that a lot of people really liked called The Crown. Mm, okay. Oh, gotcha. Was Helen Mirren in that too? <laughs> uh, Seems like she would have been, you know? Helen Mirren has been in just about everything since the 1970s. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But no, but I, I thought she she brought a lot of uh, fun and and she had a lot of attitude to her. The one part that didn't a hundred percent land for me is it felt like there was supposed to be this rift between her 
and you know Deckard Shaw. Like there was supposed to be like, oh, she was on the side of MI6, so she was with the good guys, and he was you know rogue and supposedly had this bad reputation that he had killed his unit and all this stuff. So to me, I was like, I felt like they mentioned it when they first meet up. When he shows up and says, I'm here to save you. She's like, I don't need saving. And then after that, it's all just like, oh, it's good to be back together. Oh, you're like, I didn't feel any animosity between them, even by, you know, at the, at the point of the resolution at the end where she's like, oh, I shouldn't have doubted you. I never should have believed you went dark or whatever the, the term was, you know, it's so like the it, it didn't play for me as heavily, but I didn't care. I just I liked their sibling bond, even though it seemed like they were trying to give us a rivalry or a subtype of rift. It just didn't play hard enough for me. One of the things that I struggle with is that in Jason Statham's character, Deckard Shaw, he literally his first scene in the franchise is him murdering one of the core members of the Fast and Furious family. Right, Han. And I just, yeah, Han. Um, of, of which uh, there are rumors by uh, The Rock that vindication or uh, payback for Han is still coming. Yeah. Well, yeah, I saw something about that because when they were teasing yeah. like the surprise cameos in this film, right. and then I saw the mention of Han, I thought it was going to be Han. Now, I may bring up a theory later as to where Han may fit into all this, but. But yeah, but I was just like, oh, I hope he's going to be there. That he wasn't. I was kind of bummed. Yeah, because <laughs> as we know, being inside a car that blows up does not mean you're dead. It just might mean <laughs> you have amnesia. Yes. Letty will attest to that. Just uh, uh, between that and what an, an SOB villain he was in Furious 7, it just invaded the Furious when all of a sudden he is this high spirited, happy sidekick working with the team, freewheeling, just like it's whimsical the way they suddenly turned him into an ally. And for me, it just rubbed me the wrong way after all the evil he'd done. Like he's not even close to making up for the evil that he'd done. So that always just kind of rubbed me the wrong way, I have to say. But I think this franchise is so famous for that. I mean, just the fact of where it has gone from its beginnings, the fact that, you know, Dom was essentially a criminal, you know, in the first film. And now he's a hero. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's so so like they just they do that all the time. It's one it's one thing to break the law. It's another thing to do stuff that was evil. And, you know, Jason Statham. His character in the beginning was pretty freaking evil. <laughs> but he like, was justified. He was getting revenge for his brother, you know, in his mind. Now, he wasn't uh, evil for evil's sake. Did did I miss when... Man, uh, Shaw says something in here where he says I, basically that he had to kill his own brother. I don't remember that. Yeah, that that uh, that didn't ring a bell for me either. Because I was, thought it was uh, the Shaw brothers that were on that plane in Fate yeah. of the Furious that were taking on Dom... And Cypher. Yeah, it was. But, or did, but I don't know. Or did I don't know unless he was talking up... about Brixton and killing him. No, because he was saying that to Brixton, I believe. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was hmm. It was very... That was one of the things that didn't quite fit um, canonically with the franchise. That I was like, eh? <laughs> um, and the other thing that I did pick up in this, it was kind of a throwaway line, but it's when we're in London... And Shaw takes them to his little hideaway, his bunker, and they're walking Mm -hmm. through all the cars and the rock makes a comment about, oh, even a little one, just your size. And Shaw makes an offhand reference. Oh, that was for a job in Italy. And I'm like, (laughs) did they just tie in the Italian job to this franchise, too? 
A nod and a wink, because Jason Statham is clearly playing different characters. But yeah, <laughs> yes. I thought that was very I yeah, I thought that was very clever. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> I can't believe it's been sixteen years already. Yeah. Yeah. And he just can't get away from driving cars fast. <laughs> not not to mention he looks the same. That's oh, true, yeah. actually. It does yeah. not age, man. All right, so what what were some major moments for you in this movie that uh, that stand out? Because we can't go blow for blow. It's basically Shaw's sister injects herself with the virus. Then they're playing back and forth. She's now the, the MacGuffin. Each side kind of has her for a little bit. And then we're introduced to the Rock's family, Hobbs's family, and they're gunless. <laughs> and then, uh, I, I get rid of them. <laughs> and then a lot of uh, a lot of backstory with Hobbs that we, we never would have gotten yeah. in the main franchise. Um, and then uh, lots of hand to hand and conveniences or plot contrivances happen. Uh, so yeah, what what were your major standout moves? I mean, I'll mention for me just one that I enjoyed throughout the film to start was Brixton's superbike. I loved his oh, superbike. <laughs> that was so fun. And just the way that, I mean, basically, you know, it, I'm sure it was linked to him. You know, it just seemed like it responded to whatever he needed it to show up next to him. So it was like his trusty steed. But then he could just twist it and turn it in so many different configurations. Like when he goes under the truck, which was in the trailer, but it was still cool, you know, to see it in the film. So I, I felt like that was something that I, they didn't make a big deal about it, which I always was surprised by, you know, like he didn't, he didn't talk to it like it was precious to him or anything. He, he has no sentimentality, I oh, guess. He anymore. didn't name He's it kid. Oh, exactly. <laughs> But I thought that was whenever it showed up, I was like, oh, super bike. <laughs> it, it was very uh, bat bike esque from the Nolan verse. Yes. Yeah, very Tumblr. <laughs> yeah. Um, just I, in 2001, when this franchise started, I wonder how the people involved would have felt knowing that it was going to go this deep into science fiction and have a practically living bike uh, <laughs> in, in 18 years. I just wow. Like it, it, a lot of people some people might still be in doubt over how much this franchise has changed. And I feel like that bike alone proves how science fiction-y this franchise has gotten. Yeah, Brixton I, himself, I, he's a Terminator, you know? I, I, I'm not complaining. I'm just saying it just shows you how much the scape of this, the landscape of this franchise has changed. And yeah, I did like the bike. I love that sequence where everything ends with Brixton basically landing inside of a double-decker bus. <laughs> <laughs> and he's always throwing his helmet whenever he gets mad. He's like, ah! <laughs> that is if he's wearing it in the first place. Remember when they paratrooped into that uh, MI6 office? Oh, yeah. His crew has their helmets on. He comes in flying, wearing his suit, but no helmet. wonder yeah. if that has to do with his contract. You go out and be able to see my face. You know, I don't know. but um, well, Which was an awesome. I loved the magnetic connector or whatever it was that they had the lines that they had mounted on the top of the building. So when you jump out the window, they shoot the line down and it attaches oh, yeah. to you. That was a cool little you know, way to, to make it kind of unique instead of just having a line on you the whole time. It's like, nope, when you need it, here it comes. <laughs> uh, what did you guys think about, uh, I mean... 
because th- this is something that really I was like kind of ready to fist pump when the the scientist who is the one who created the virus, you know, he's he's kind of, uh, you know, I don't know. You can tell he's got a little bit of guts because he broke away from this organization. You know, he, he fought the programming and the brainwashing. But at the same time, you know, like when Hattie comes in and saves him, he's like, that's not possible. You know, <laughs> but but he, when he comes in to save the day with the flamethrower that I love that. That was just fun, you know, because he'd been tortured it, with it earlier. But he it got it, his it made me smile a little too much because I'd recently seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, <laughs> and the same thing happens in that movie. Leonardo DiCaprio <laughs> takes on a member of the Manson family with a flamethrower. Oh, oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> It, it, I, I don't know why I just brought back that smile because it happened so recently, you know. Yeah, and I, I don't think we could uh, leave out the NOS chain. Oh, so geez. just like <laughs> that was so cool when they're all just like linking up cars so they could hold the helicopter down. <laughs> I was just like, that. Oh, those were some terrible me. throws. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, that reminded me of a similar stunt in Terminator 3 Rise of the Machines. And and I have to say, I liked it. It, it did put a smile on my face. Also, I, I, before we get off them, the scientist you mentioned, he put a smile on my face because I remember it, it was so interesting to see his range. I last, off the top of my head, the last time I saw the actor playing him, he was the villain in the Will Smith movie Hancock. And oh, yes. <laughs> this is such a different role for him. Yeah, and I remember so saying he's the movie. only good part of Hancock. Yeah. So, yeah, that's pretty good. Adam is I, not a fan. No. Uh, Hancock, the first half of the film is literally, to me, a masterpiece. I can't find anything wrong with it. The second half, everything goes to Hades. <laughs> yeah, there there were some issues. Could have used a little more ironing out in the script. But Speaking of which, I saw the, the trailer for Gemini Man in front of this. I don't know if you guys got that. Oh, yes. Man, does that look terrible? Will Smith, <laughs> give it up, man. Give it up. No more action movies, please. <laughs> I'm going to give it a chance because of Ang Lee, but the way the trailer looks, my expectations are low. Yeah. <laughs> oh, How about for you, Jerry? Was there another action moment or even just like a cool fight that you got a kick out of? Well, the ending Literally. fight is, is pretty sweet when they finally decide, you know, we have to team up. We can't be going at this as two alpha males. We have to take a punch to get a punch on him um, and getting to watch that in slow-mo each punch. That was a different take on uh, an action fight. Um, well, but- plus their just their whole plan, which is, yeah, like you said, like I'll take a punch for you so you could get a punch in. Like, I think that was a pretty unique way to set up a plan, you know, that they're finally on the same page. I like that a lot. Yeah. And, and you think throughout the movie that they'll finally just figure out that they have to work together. And it's not till the last moment that they finally do. (laughs) Um, The whole ticking clock that she's going to die in two days if she doesn't get the virus out of her and it's going to go viral and kill everybody. That's uh, that's a plot motivator. Um, Then the whole ticking clock where she's got it literally on her back the whole time. Um, Throwing punches with the uh, with the needle in her arm. Not the brightest idea. Exactly. (laughs) Um, I'm glad they finally started showing that she was getting dizzy and weak from it, because that's usually what happens when you're uh, 
on uh, dialysis or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I mean, they finally got a little bit realistic with some of the stuff, but her in that helicopter crashing, that would not have gone off well. Yeah, because it was already damaged once, and now you're just going to put it in harm's way again. Like, this should have been a, just protect her, don't make her fight, you know? So, so or, it, or jostle her. A, a lot of people would have reacted badly and called that a damsel in distress trope. Yeah. So That's a good point. Uh, I feel like there were they there they, was they walked a line there. There were some people in their reviews who were very praising, saying, "Oh, I love in this film they made sure that she fought a lot, so she wasn't a damsel in distress." So it could have been a play to avoid ruffling people's feathers. Mm-hmm. And and now Atheon, 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 I think. Yeah. Um, them as the overarching bad guy. Uh, was that just kind of contrived, or do we see that lasting throughout the future? Well, films? I mean, they're they're setting it up with the director, right? Who is this director who gives commands, who has his voice modulator on, and claims to know and have a history with Hobbes? You know, so it's like, is it Hobbes' dad? Is it Han? Hobbes doesn't have a history with Han. I mean, he does, but you know what I'm saying? I don't think he's mad at him for anything that I could. <laughs> I, got a, I got a slightly yeah. dumb question. Is it an AI or is it an actual person? Because it, it was hard to tell. I got to be honest. Um, It was made to play up as, as an AI. But who I really think it is, is Agent Locke. Ryan I heard Reynolds. a theory about this. Um, yeah, it, It's... It's because there, towards the end, um, in the modulation, I heard Reynolds' voice. Yeah, because they dropped it. Like, yeah, they, they dropped, dropped the modulation slightly. for like two seconds. Yeah, and you're like, oh, that's and it's a normal like, voice. Yeah. Why, why would you bring him in, basically to play Wade Wilson without the superpowers? Um, it's, or, the director is David Leach, who directed Deadpool 2. You'll I, notice yeah. he brought in Ryan Reynolds' um, the other agent who brought in Shaw. Yes. You, you'll notice that was Peter from Deadpool 2. Yes. The regular average yes. guy added to uh, X-Force. And I also love the cameo by Kevin Hart. I just love that they just threw those cameos <laughs> in there and just were not – they were well done. They didn't overstay their welcome and they put a smile on my face. Well, well I will say with, with Ryan Reynolds, I did not enjoy him. I, I came to the conclusion – actually, I don't think I like Ryan Reynolds oh. like seeing him in this film. You've spoken blasphemy. I know. I'm not a huge Deadpool fan. I think he worked well for that. (laughs) But to me, he was just, and again, I mean, I'm sure if if this theory proves correct, it was to be a misdirect, to make him this, you know, wormy guy who's super obsessed with Hobbes. And you're so cool, Hobbes, and I want to be just like you, and I got a tribal tattoo. And uh, calls him Becky for no reason. But, you know, whatever, like, that's our thing. It's not our thing, you know? So like that's something that's been done a lot in many, many movies as well. And I kind of don't like the ego side of that joke, which is, oh, yeah, you know, the hero of the film knows he's so cool. So we're going to write a character in that worships him and and tries to dress like him and tries to be like him, you know. But I just I got really annoyed by Ryan Reynolds, especially in his appearance in the mid credits scene. Cause that, that just went on and on. And I was like, this is not funny, man. Like, you know, like they were, you know, he's, he's calling him on another mission, you know, then you get to the end credit scene or whatever. But I was just like, I got really annoyed with him really fast. And so I was just like, yeah, I don't, I don't think I need to see more Ryan Reynolds. And I hope he's not, you know, the bad guy in the next film, but it seems like it might be pointing that way. Silence. (laughs) I'm reeling in shock. You don't like Ryan Reynolds. I just, wow. I like just friends. 
I like that movie. <laughs> I do. That is a good movie. That yeah. is a classic. Um, I, I honestly hope he's the villain. That would give us quite a different look at Ryan Reynolds. Um, it would be snarky enough that he could compete on the same level as The Rock and Statham with snarkiness. Um, but yeah, uh, it it'll be interesting. And I believe this is the new team. Like they've they've got their own team. Shaw's sister will be part of it. In the future, you'll have uh, Mama Shaw as well. She's got resources. They'll be on the yeah, run. Yeah, they, they'll, they'll definitely have Hobbs's brothers, the mechanic, you know, so you'll have... Right, you'll have that. Jonah, yeah. And then you'll also have Air Marshal Kevin Hart um, <laughs> as, as the guy with connections. Which, how did you feel about them stealing the bit from Endgame about him changing his voice? Just pulling the <laughs> Star-Lord. <laughs> You know, it it worked. It, I mean, it was just it was there for funny, and you, you just go with it. <laughs> Which I think it's hilarious. I don't know if you guys have seen the trailer for the new Jumanji, because obviously Kevin yes. Hart of the Rock. Oh, now, what but, a wonderful game! <laughs> but to me, like I was really surprised. You know, not to go on too far of a tangent, but that they are bringing them back, but they're all different characters. So they're not like just going back into the game playing the same characters again. Like they they're getting switched around, and so to me, like that's really kind of a clever twist on it all. So I, I made me more excited to see that. It's like good job, well, Dwayne I, Johnson. I haven't seen the new oh, remake, really? um, oh. and and I'm interested to watch it before the next that's one really debuts. Yeah, so. I, I own it in 4K. I enjoy it that much. I mean, I only ta- I only paid ten bucks for it, but. <laughs> Uh, it is Sony's biggest movie, like bigger than any of their Spider-Man films. Yeah, super surprise. I remember yeah. when it hit it, so big. So yeah. I'm not I'm not surprised they churned out a sequel so quickly. But I, I also got to say, Welcome to the Jungle was a lot of fun. Jeremy, where do you want to take us? <laughs> I think we should talk about. I, I think it's important we also give Idris Elba his due, or at least mention Brixton and where he falls as a villain. Because even though he's not the mastermind. He is, you know, our main antagonist in this film. What did you guys think of his performance? What did you think of his character motivations? Did well, that seem yeah, let's, as well? Let's go a little into his background here. Um, he was a former partner with Shaw, and he approached Shaw to join Atheon. And it was at this point that Shaw put two bullets in his chest and one in his head um, and then just left him. And that's when Atheon picked him up and made him Black Superman. <laughs> which I heard they had an alternate line for that that he vetoed, which is they were going to call him Black James Bond. And he oh. said, you know, because he's been rumored for so long to take over the role someday. And he's like, no, nah, I don't want to do that. <laughs> so, but Black Superman makes more sense. It, it you know, does in this. not a super spy. Right. Yeah. In this sort of movie, it does. And then it also, didn't The Rock make some reference to, and this is your kryptonite or something? Yeah. Here comes the kryptonite. I think he yeah. called it. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, I, to me, like, they had the whole, which is always more enjoyable with the villain where they're not just the standard mustache twirler, evil for evil. He believes, right? He's altruistic in his intentions. He's like, well, you know, you're going to kill millions of people, only the weak ones. You know, it's, like, it's just right. like to him, it's like we have to do this to make the human race perfect. Like I am well, becoming. Well, no, the, the key is to evolve. Yeah. Beyond Which, humanity, essentially. Right. You've, yeah. you've heard in other movies that humanity must evolve to survive. Ult- yeah, old Ultron. I think of Ultron right away. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 
Um, so, so like in that case, like I, I could appreciate that he's got that side to him. Again, he's totally programmed and brainwashed and everything else to go along with that. But the fact that, you know, he's the, the other thing is I didn't think he was trying too hard. Remember he gets the mandate to turn them instead of, but he's like, I'm going to torture them to turn them. You know, like he didn't make a very compelling argument really. Well, okay. Uh, he, he does try to argue with the, the big bad. And he's like, you can't yeah. turn these guys. Like mm-hmm. you, there's only one way and it's to end them. And they're like, no, these guys have qualities that we'd love to have. So you must turn them. And, and that did allow, for, I mean, it was plot contrivances. Yes. The, the whole shocking them to torture them <laughs> just to stall for time to Luke set up Skywalker the Mick Jagger. Yeah. <laughs> if we were to band, you would totally be the Mick Jagger. Oh, that was good. But like, but yeah, so I guess like he was, he was very cool in terms of how they choreographed all his action. And I liked what he did, but I just, I, Idris Elba is another one that I feel like he is so praised and he must've been good in something, but it's nothing I've seen like Heimdall. I've, he just is kind of there, uh, you know, Pacific Rim again, like he was kind of the main, you know, hero established hero in that universe. The apocalypse. Yeah. But I just, I never get on board with him. He's kind of bland to me and I, I didn't see what the, the dark tower or whatever, uh, if he's good. Nobody as, saw that. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I guess like, can you guys point to something? What is he most known for that people say, yeah, he's our go-to guy and he gave a great performance once. Well, well he's got a pretty strong thespian career. He, he does. worked really hard for it. But there was a show on HBO called The Wire, which is widely regarded as one of the greatest television shows ever made. And okay. So you're saying he was better than Michael Chiklis? Come on. Oh, or no, that's The Shield. My yeah, bad. that's The Shield. <laughs> Uh, in BBC, he was on a show called Luther. Uh, it sh- okay. During Hulu's early days, Luther would show up in the States on Hulu. I never okay. watched it, but it, but it was a very well-regarded show. All right. But now he does genre films, essentially. <laughs> He's always some, some side of the super fantastic he does. Okay. Yeah, I just I, I like that despite his – oh, also he was in Zootopia. That was cool. <laughs> he was the police chief in that movie. Yeah, okay. In in the Jungle Book, he was the voice of the remake. He was the voice of Shere Khan. Yeah, I, I like that he's this esteemed thespian, but is not afraid to go and do quote unquote fun roles. You know, mm-hmm. I guess he he just didn't seem like he uh, had the charisma to match him. Like he had the confidence you know, to go up against Hobbs and Shaw. But I, I guess I just expected him and maybe it's just because he is a machine now, but I expected him to be more, more quippy about it outside of, you know, the I'm black Superman. Like I thought he would just have a lot more one liners and it really did feel like for the most part, he was just like barking orders and kind of, you know, mentioning here or there that you Getting shot his me, back killed me. open. And so yeah. with junk put inside. <laughs> <laughs> But but I think he served the role that they needed, which was, you know, someone who neither of them could take out on their own. So that made sense. Uh, But I got to say, if there's one thing that this film should be remembered for, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of comedy. There's a lot of fun action that we mentioned. But I love when a movie can introduce us to a setting that has not been used before. So going to Samoa and giving us that. I think was just cool. 
because that's just a culture that is not celebrated. We get a lot of Hawaiian themed shows, you know, there's a lot of stuff like that, but when is Samoa ever mentioned, you know, and I, I have friends that I grew up with in, in Southern California. There's lots of pockets like Samoan communities, you know, and I have a buddy who's like half Samoan, which I, I kind of like imagine uh, Hobbs has to be with a name like Hobbs. Cause that's not a super Samoan name. I mean, my friend's last name is Kellogg shout out to Thomas. Um, but, but it's just like interesting that they could set it there and kind of introduce you to their culture to their language you know everybody's called each, everybody uso and all of that so you know, it's a it's a big deal i think for this moment for the rock to be able to bring you know one half of his cultural heritage into the limelight so i was very excited by having you know that big showdown uh, on the island and ever since return of the jedi i've always been a sucker of a really thoughtful clever low-tech populace being able to stick it to a high-tech adversary. Yeah. So I like that. The only I mean, not, not without a little high-tech help by Hattie hacking the glove and right. being able to shut down their weapons. Yeah, but, but. They, they did not go into battle with your standard weapons. They brought basically mallets and lava lavas for the most yep. part. <laughs> and, and I like that. Um, my only real complaint about that fight was, did you guys notice how ridiculously quickly it went from pitch black before dawn Yes. Broad daylight, sun high in the sky. (laughs) I was like, what's happening here? And then all of a sudden, then the the storm comes in and it gets dark again. And I had to go and I had to really think about it because, you know, I thought maybe maybe time passed by really quickly. No, you see a helicopter fly in and the sun shoots up like lightning in the background. Right. (laughs) I mean, was that was do you think that was because of reshoots or is it just more dramatic to do their haka? And which is, you know, their chant and their whole, you know, warrior speak before the battle. Um, like, I, 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 I just it. think it's a production flub that they tried to gloss <laughs> over and didn't quite succeed in my book. Yeah. Yeah. A little little production issue there. Uh, I mean, they they did kind of outline it where they were like, yeah, well, when you do this, you fight so that your back is to the rising sun. Um, that way, the sun is in your opponent's eyes. Mm-hmm. but then it was broad daylight most of the yeah. battle so <laughs> which uh, that was the one thing i'll say about that battle too is it got to me that like when you saw brixton for example like nail some of the usos you oh, know and yeah. take them out like you're like oh like these people like they got hit hard and they're just normal there's nothing special about that we know hobbs and shaw are super human, you know, <laughs> but everybody else is not. And so you feel it. You're like, Oh no, that's not fair. You know? So that was, that was pretty cool, which, you know, mixed into that. I mean, I wondered how many of those were actually the rocks cousins and family members. Uh, but at the same time, one of them, the most notable is Roman reigns, you know, who's a, a WWE superstar, uh, so he was, he definitely got, uh, his big signature moments, used a couple of his moves, got, you know, just some close ups, you know, for all the wrestling fans out there. But what surprised me because they were saying that, you know, Uso so often, which just means, you know, brothers, right. Um, there's a team in that are in the WWE that are to tag a tag team, two brothers called the Usos. So I was like, they gotta be in this movie. And they weren't, I kept looking for them in the background. So 
that surprised me. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I just I feel like that those those moments were pretty cool to get in there. And did you guys notice also just one more little bit of history here for those who don't know? You know, The Rock he was half Samoan, but he's half African American. His father, his name is Rocky Johnson, and he was a, a professional wrestler back in the day. And so when the rock before the rock existed, he came in as a wrestler called Rocky Maivia, which was paying tribute to his dad as Rocky. And then Maivia was his family name on the Samoan side, which was Peter ah, Maivia, gotcha. who is his grandfather was a big wrestler in Hawaii. Yeah. It did, but it, when Hattie is hacking the glove, if you look on the wall next to the computer, there were a bunch of movie posters. You had like Stallone and Cobra. And I think it was like lethal weapon two. And there's a couple others. Like, so there must've been the rocks favorite movies or something, but also there in the background is there's a very famous picture of the rock as a kid standing with his dad and his dad's this like huge muscular dude. Then there's the little rock just down at his waist, you know, and that was in the background too, which I thought was pretty awesome. That was just like a fun little Easter egg for wrestling fans. (laughs) I did not pick that up, man. Yeah, I didn't think you would. (laughs) You get the Easter eggs of Marvel films. I'll handle the wrestling. Yeah, (laughs) that that was just light years over my head. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I'm here for. Um, I also really enjoyed the quippy humor of this film. Like I was looking forward to that because I loved in Fate of the Furious how The Rock just flipped out on Statham and was like, I am going to beat your like a Cherokee drum. (laughs) (laughs) And I I wanted more of that. And I I think I got plenty more of that. And I love the interplay that included making fake identities and Statham made sure to get. Yes. He made sure to get there. What was the joke? I didn't get it. I was like, this is funny. Why? First name was Mike. Uh And his last name was Oxmall. So just say it really fast. Mike Oxmall? My here, oh, I'll spell it. it out for okay, you. Okay, I finally got it. Okay, <laughs> my rooster wow. small. Yeah, wow. Yeah. I, that total that they're, they're light years over my head. You which know, is toilet. which is why the rebuttal of Hugh Janus <laughs> yes, was so funny. Was so uh, totally <laughs> did not Hugh, get it. First name Hugh, last name Janus. <laughs> wow. <sighs> I thought it was pretty funny too, just like when they're having their showdown in the conference room, you know, just, you know, tearing each other down. And so that was fun. Again, they each got their moment, you know, the, the, what, what irritates them most about the other, you know, and, and Statham, like, it's like, it's like the creator is that it's vomiting in my eyes and it burns. It burns. <laughs> your, the sound of your voice is like <laughs> all's being dragged on broken glass. <laughs> uh, and The Rock used a few catchphrases also of other wrestlers like Chris Jericho and Stone Cold. And so there, that was fun, too. He had a couple of callbacks. And he did his eyebrow raise to his yes. daughter. Phone, yes. So that was fun. But yeah, so like as we, I guess as we close out, I'm curious for the, for the Ed credit scenes, what did you guys think about those and all the stuff they were either alluding to or setting up? I got to be honest. I had to re- I had such a tight schedule. I did not stick around for the credits. I knew there was going to be something. So I read about it online. Okay. I actually did that too. I saw the first <laughs> one. Like I said, I saw the Ryan Reynolds one and I'm like, Ugh, I'm out of here. Well, the Ryan Reynolds one was two parts. Um, so you, you saw the beginning there, Adam, and at the very end, uh, he's basically still talking to him on the phone and he's like, 
oh, I'm bleeding out. There's blood everywhere. And then he realizes it's not his blood. It's everybody else's. And uh, he actually stabbed a guy with a brick. Um, hmm, which and, he said is impossible. Right, right. And, and so he was he was he was having fun with some of his conversation from earlier in the film. Um, okay. The other main credit scene was of both of them reuniting with their family. Uh, yeah. The Shaws breaking their mother out of prison. And, <laughs> and then... Hobbs taking his daughter back to the ISL. Yeah, which as cheesy and contrived as it was, that was like, I did get like slightly emotional in those moments, even just at the prison. Like, you know, she <laughs> got her dream, seeing her kids come back, you know, because it was totally set up. You know, both those things were going to happen, but it, it was just, I felt it was a nice way to end it. Like you say, the franchise is all about family. So let's just hit it hard. Let's keep it going, you know? All right. Well, let's wrap it up today. Colton, where do you fall on this movie? Uh, I, this is one of those films where I saw it a few days ago and you just, it doesn't take a very long passage of time for the film to already kind of fade from memory. I already am feeling like I'm forgetting details about this movie already. Cause it's just fun, but passable summer fair. But still, I thought it was better than average, so I'm willing to give it a 6 out of 10. I'm sitting with uh, probably like a 7, 7.5, just because it was a romp and a half, a wild roller coaster, full of cliches, full of jokes and banter back and forth and all over this movie. Um, I wouldn't say too many funny moments were spoiled in the trailer, but I mean, some key plot movie plot contrivances were so, I mean, you kind of knew what you were in for in the trailer, which isn't a bad thing. But oh, man, uh, yeah, seven, seven and a half. And Adam. Yeah, so I, I guess I could do another take here. Well, well <laughs> we can insert it or if you want to go for it. Yeah, well, you know, and I'll just mention. Uh, well, let me take that again. So, yeah, so for me, I mean, I mentioned it up top, not a fan of Vin Diesel. So when you make a Fast and Furious film without Vin Diesel, it already a million percent has improved in my mind. And then by taking who I consider to be the most interesting members of the team that are still alive, rest in peace, Han, for now, like getting Hobbs and Shaw together, they're the ones that I want to see when I see those movies. So I got, you know, excited by the prospect of it all the way up, seeing the trailers. Like every time I saw another one, I'm like, this movie is going to be ridiculous. And I love it that they're just going for it a hundred percent. So like I, I, I rank this, you know, when I look at the Fast and Furious films, I mean, it's, it's probably, you know, Tokyo Drift, then Hobbs and Shaw and then the rest, you know? So I, I think what I would say is it's worth going back to see again. Uh, because just the action is fun it's got moments like i said stuff that even was shown in the trailers i still enjoyed seeing again and even there was a soundtrack song that i'm gonna go download that i got a kick out of which is called next level Ooh. and it's performed by uh, aston wild and i don't know if that's a band name or a performer name i never heard of him but i really dug that song like when that started pumping i was like "Ooh, that was cool i think that it was playing while uh while Shaw was going into Hattie's apartment uh was when that kicked in but anyway so I just feel like this has everything you want and it's got it in a quick fun just enjoyable package so you know I would probably as far as Fast and Furious films go I would have to give this one a nine you know as far as films <laughs> overall <laughs> maybe more of a seven but I I could definitely see myself going back to watch it and just have it a good time with it uh anybody but got a 
whippy sign off here. Just kick into that next level song. Is the outro. <laughs> and, and also Google Vin Diesel's Street Sharks. Like, yeah, and don't you ever doubt it. I'm incomparable. That's why they staring though. Turn up the stereo. Check it out. Check it out. Check it out. We hope you enjoyed all of the fun of today's episode and invite you to join us on our regularly scheduled podcast, Sequel Quest, where we imagine the next installments of your favorite movie franchises. Find Sequel Quest on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Stitcher, Spotify, and on most of your favorite podcatchers. And of course, visit us at our new home on the web, theretronetwork.com. This has been a presentation of The Retro Network.